I left the room that night, went to work. Aside from the text the next day, that was our only interaction and um, I never saw him alive ever again. And I suppose if I had that moment and, God, I've thought about this a million times, I'd break down those barriers. You know, our, our relationship was strong, but it was never a sit with each other and cry to each other. And I think we need to really get to that and build that, that strong connection with anyone that you care about to know that you can sit with them and you can have a moment and you can cry it out just to get through to tomorrow. And yeah, that would be me, mate. I'd sit on his bed, I'd wrap my arm around him and say, hey, you look like you're not okay. Guess what? I give a shit about that. I care about you and I want you to be at 100% as often as you can. And by doing that, I know, mate, that things will be okay. That's Mitch McPherson. We're not related, but we are on the same mission. Mitch lost his younger brother to suicide in 2013 and living through that tragedy was a major turning point that would come to define his future career. I actually started to channel my, my grief and my sadness into the positive. Mitch was a glazier by trade, but for the past seven years, he's been touring the country, sharing his lived experience story with thousands of people at hundreds of events teaching everyone how to spot the warning signs when someone's at risk of suicide and inspiring organisations to change the way they think about mental health. I will never ever be able to bring Ty back, but um, I know for a fact that there's people walking this earth because of the work that I and our amazing team have done. And um, yeah, there's nothing more powerful than that. And I suppose that helps me. Mitch founded his business, Speak Up, Stay Chatty, to spread this crucial message as far and wide as possible and now leads a team of people delivering mental health programs at schools and sporting clubs. He was the 2017 Tasmanian Young Australian of the Year and his passion for saving lives is only burning brighter as the impact of his much-needed work continues to grow. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Trigger warning, this episode discusses suicide. If you or someone you know is suicidal, please call Lifeline on 13 14 11 or the Suicide Prevention Hotline in your country. This episode has been made possible by Kookaburra Homes, the home builder that cares about the community. Kookaburra is big on investing in local projects that better our society and is an awesome supporter of Youngblood's mission to improve the lives of young men and everyone in their lives by opening up these conversations that we need to have. What was it like growing up with your brother? Uh, we had a pretty normal uh, upbringing, if you like. There was, um, I'm the eldest, um, my sister Jenna, who's a couple of years younger than me, and then there was a bit of, gap, bit of a gap. There was a seven-year gap to Ty, um, who was um, the youngest, um, I'd say we had a pretty normal upbringing. Um, you know, mum and dad were together for um, most of our, our time growing up until, you know, I suppose the only real hiccup we had as, as kids was when I think I was in about grade seven and my mum and dad separated, which is something that's you know, incredibly common these days, which is, a um, you know, the kids kind of get forgotten a little bit in those um, parent separations. And you, you never really know, I suppose, how they might impact um, the young people in a family. And I, and I certainly look back on that and realised that it certainly impacted us probably more than I ever imagined, and that's just because we got separated and, you know, some of us would stay with mum sometimes, some of us would stay with dad. But um, other than that, um, we all loved our sport. Um, you know, I, one of my fondest memories of, of my little brother and I is playing backyard cricket and footy and um, him being probably a bit lazier than what I was at his age, I'd have to jump the fence when he hit the ball over the fence and it was always me leaping over it. It's probably why I've got a crook back these days. <laughs> Um, jumping over a massive fence to retrieve the ball. But, um, yeah, we were, we were close. Um, I always say we're, we're probably going to get into it a little bit more. We were 
we were super close. Did we have the, you know, the deep and meaningful sit-down conversations that I wish we had of? No, um, but that's all part of learning and, and growing up. And, um, you know, as I said, we were we were really close. I loved him more than anything. He loved me more than anything. But, um, yeah, as I said, we just did – it wasn't drilled into us to have those um, – those really deep and meaningful conversations, albeit we were ex- an extremely close family. Were you similar? Uh, yeah, very, yeah. I um, I often laugh now and, and have conversations with my wife when, you know, you always talk about your family and, um, and other people's families. And um, my, I like to think my brother and I were, were very similar. Um, a lot of, we looked similar, um, but we also, I don't know, I just feel we sort of viewed the world the same and we viewed our you know, when your parents break up, you certainly um, you don't take sides, but you sort of look at things differently and you have different perceptions on things. And I always, he and I always seem to really agree on, you know, how we viewed our family and the, the decisions some people were making. And, um, yeah, I think we sort of had the same sort of outlook on life as well. And and I know I've, I've seen videos in, over the last few years, you know, and I love it when new footage of him pops up, but there was certainly... Um, there's a video of him at primary school saying that when he grew up, he wanted to be a glazier, which is what I am. And, you know, yeah. he certainly wanted to follow in my footsteps and, and play footy and just be be one of the boys with his mates as well. So I'd say we definitely were really similar. And you you felt like he looked up to you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that's um, oh, probably one of the, the biggest things that will, will get me um, emotional or, or tear up is to think about that um, I had someone in my life who just um, – you know, totally idolised me and and wanted to spend lots and lots of his time with me. And, you know, as I said a moment ago, a video saying he wanted to grow up and be a glazier, he probably didn't even really know what a glazier was. But the fact that um, his big brother was a glazier, that was awesome to him. So, um, yeah, he definitely did. And, you know, um, not everyone gets the opportunity to be a big brother. Um, I only got to do it for 18 years, but I certainly feel very lucky that I got the opportunity to, to be a big brother. And, um, in my life now, my wife's got younger brothers and, you know, I've got a, a nephew and um, I'm not always the best at it, but I always try and do my best um, to be that role model for as many young people as I can. Yeah, and you do an amazing job at that. How did your relationship uh, develop uh, into those those late teenage years and did the amount that you guys would talk lessen? Uh, did you notice any sort of changes in him? What was different? Were you different? Yeah, so um, I think for, and as, a lot of it's a blur too, I think through my mum and dad split up in grade seven, um, I worked myself through um, high school and, and then college sort of jumping between houses. Um, Ty stayed with mum a lot. Um, but then from probably my age of about 21, I'd established myself in my apprenticeship as a glazier. Um, Ty was going through, um, you know, high school. Um, we started to see a lot more of each other then. You know, I lived with dad. He'd start to split weeks between mum and dads and, and stayed a lot with us. And um, yeah, it was that's when the backyard cricket and footy really took off. I was about 20 and, you know, he's, you know, 12, 13 and um, having a great old time. I often think about um, Ty passed away 10 days um, after he turned 18. And, um, we for his 18th birthday we had a great night out with family and friends and we went to a nightclub and we were at a real transition stage it had been like I'd been a big brother to him we'd been playing cricket and footy you know transferring money picking him up from places but we were about to enter adulthood together and um, that also makes me feel really sad that you know I remember looking over at him at that nightclub at you know um, 11 p.m that night and thinking, have a look at my little brother, you know, he's had having a few drinks, he's standing at the bar with a few mates and I, it sort of dawned on me that, you know, he's not a little boy anymore and, and where this is what adulthood is and, and what we're experiencing and, 
you know, sadly, we only got that one opportunity to have a night out. But, um, yeah, we overnight transitioned from him being my little brother to, hey, look, he's my big 18-year-old brother now and um, life's going to be pretty cool to have him around. And on reflection, looking back at that night, did you were there any signs at that time that you looked back and were like, yeah, there was something going on that I, that I didn't see or was it completely uh, invisible? Still probably at that time. I mean, um, time has been everything for me, you know, and I still – uh, it's probably been a couple of years now, but for you know, many years I'd wake up and think about moments where um, I probably could have done something different and nudged him a little bit harder to, to get out of him what was going on. But I think that's a big part of my journey that and my story that um, I had absolutely no idea about mental health or um, suicide or the signs of it and, and what depression and anxiety is and um, absolutely not. If I, in that old life that I led, I reckon if I ever looked at my little brother um and noticed that he he wasn't all right. It'd be that sort of toughen up, you know, mentality. Um, I was, you know, as I said, I, I played footy and in the trade industry, and it was very much you just pick up your bags and you get on with it, and you never really show those signs of weakness or vulnerability. So, um, whilst that night or following that next ten days, yeah, I look back now, and there were moments where um, Ty was off his game and he wasn't okay, but never ever in that in that stage or that area of my life would I've ever thought it's time to sort of go and knock on his door and have a conversation with him and check in on him actually to check how his mental health was going. So, yeah, the long-winded answer is no, um, but um, I never realised in that moment that something might have been not okay with him. And what would you say that the average person thinks of when we're talking about someone being suicidal and how might that not actually stack up against the reality sometimes? Yeah, well, I mean, looking back now, um, in probably the last two weeks there were some signs, small, subtle, that he wasn't okay. Um, and they were really, really small at times. You know, a couple of them were he didn't join us for dinner in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, Ty loved dinner and that was a big part of his routine to come out and have family time and eat his meal and then um, crack jokes and he'd be the wife of the party. And, and just in that last two weeks, there were probably four or five nights where he didn't do that. Um, he stopped asking for lifts home and he, um, you know, walked home. I caught him walking home one day and asked him for a lift if he wanted a lift and he said no. They were small and subtle, but I think, um, again, a big part of my journey now is looking out for those one percenters, those one percent small changes in those around you to check in and, and just simply ask the question, is everything all right? But I suppose answering to your question, a lot of people perceive mental health and depression and anxiety as someone cooped up in a dark room in their bedroom with the doona pulled over their head and, and, and not being able to actually face life. And, of course, that's a you know, far end of the scale um, and there are people out there that experience that and that would no doubt be a really traumatic and, and difficult experience for them. But mental health is um, what I've learned vastly different and can be really mild things, but it's also different for everyone as well. Something that affects me might really get me down and put me in that state where I need to lock myself in my bedroom, whereas for you um, it mightn't be too bad and you can put it in your back pocket and push through it and, and not really let it bother you. So, um, yeah, I think lots of people, we're, we're trying to break that down, that mental health is something that um, affects everyone differently, but it's absolutely not just closed bedroom door, closed blinds, can't move. It's um, the smallest but significant things that we all need to touch on. Yeah, and if it was always those really obvious signs, that would make it easier because you'd be able to tell and say, okay, there's definitely something seriously wrong and we, we've got to take 
action now the most insidious thing about it a lot of the time is just how good people are at hiding it uh due to their own their own pride or the shame they feel about it uh and how good we are at being able to put on a mask and pretend to the untrained eye certainly and even those that we love that we're we're doing all right and they might get a bit of an inkling Mm -hmm. that something's off but like you said with a few of those little signs there so you can now look back and say there was a bit of a change something was obviously going on but at the time you're not you don't jump to oh maybe he's suicidal um no. you know, maybe she's suicidal yeah. it's such a massive leap that you just couldn't imagine that it's to that degree you know oh, it's probably something personal going on with them that they don't want to talk about it or they just feel like withdrawing and having a bit more alone time at the moment or i'm sure it'll it'll change it'll result and then yeah. so many people i think have a, a similar um experience where someone close to them will be behaving slightly differently but not enough to really cause alarm and then bang like tragedy strikes and everyone's completely shocked by it because it is something that Mm -hmm. we can really hold under the surface Uh, and especially in the case of men i think when it comes to suicide they're so final in how we act that if you often if you have an attempt it, it ends up being successful and that can be it and it leaves people just completely dumbfounded that that it was that bad and that it was yeah. that well hidden, yeah. Yeah, and that's right. And that, that you make great points. And I always say to people, like, especially I do a lot of speaking now to, you know, workplaces and community groups, and a lot of people in that audience are parents, and lots of them come up to me and say, oh, you know, that's really reminded me that my my young fella's been hiding away in his room a lot more lately. And I, and I say to people, it doesn't mean you have to pull out the spare bed and sleep next to them yeah. just because they missed dinner one or two nights. But what you're doing by playing a role by just recognising that they're just maybe just off their game and recognising them and giving them that opportunity to speak is probably all that you will ever be able to do. Mm. But at least you're doing that. And and I always use my own story as the example that we absolutely did not do that. Um, And that was purely just because we didn't have any knowledge on what mental health was, what the early signs were of depression or anxiety. Um, So therefore we just completely missed them. So you don't have to panic straight away and it's not something always that you can fix overnight, but just being conscious to mental health just a little bit um, and putting those little pieces into your everyday around someone you care about is really, really important. In my own experience with a, a friend who I lost to suicide and, and another friend who's uh, had, his, had his times of, of struggling, they've both been people that, you know, on paper people would idolise them or say, oh, you know, this, this person's got it all, or they've got such a bright future, um, they've got so many things going for them, you know, you'd never imagine that they would be struggling in this way and i think what i've learned is that that stuff doesn't really count for too much uh in in the end like no matter how good we look on the surface or w- what we have on paper in terms of a job or future prospects or whatever what's going on inside us you know can be completely different to what we see on the surface and just because it doesn't make sense to you uh doesn't mean it's it's not totally possible for someone else uh, and that actually yeah. often those people who seem like they're doing really well and they've fully got it together and they're always in control and they never have any issues, you got to ask them and pay attention to them just as much as someone who who looks like they're always struggling a bit because, you know, sometimes people are just better at hiding it than others um, or, feel, yeah. or, or those who always look, you know, perfect on the surface or like it's all good all the time, maybe they're the ones who are least willing to show anything and that means that they're bottling all of it up and it's just them who's holding it and then they're trying to keep up this veil that they are this person at all times and they don't want to have any cracks in that and and then that can lead to 
disaster again. So I think our point yeah. is that it doesn't matter what someone looks like on the surface or you know how you th- how you think they might be going. You just got to keep an eye on everyone and yourself and and just always ask if you have an inkling um because yeah like you like you say all the time in your speeches you know mental health is it's everyone yeah i couldn't agree more and um i i live and breathe that as well you know i'm i'm 33 years of age i've got um, a loving wife a new little daughter um i've got my dream job you know every day i wake up and i'm i'm living and breathing my purpose and my passion like i love what i do i never dread it but um i still have days where i feel like shit and i don't feel right and things are bugging me that probably wouldn't bug you. Um, and so, you know, some people might look at me and think, oh, he's got a job that he loves doing. He's got a great family. Why would he ever battle with things? And it's the same with anyone. We're all, no matter how much money or you love your job, you're always going to uh, be affected by issues. Life is tough. Um, life, we're, we're born into this world to face lots and lots of challenges. So you never know how someone's going to be coping with it. But we're all human. And I guess the, the beauty of it is you work in mental health where you're constantly telling people to open up and, and be aware of these yeah. things and, and change their thinking. And then you've got to walk the walk yourself as well, obviously, if mm. you're if you're being that guy. But that doesn't mean like, oh, I've uh, I've experienced pain and I've learned a lot about mental health and now I'm totally all good forever and I'll, I'll teach you guys like yeah. how to, you know, it's not yeah. like that at all. It's very much understanding how vulnerable we all are and our own weaknesses and what we can all sort of fall victim to and then continuing to go on your own journey and still struggle at times yourself as you go. But for me personally, that just motivates me more to continue doing what I'm doing and I'm I'm sure you're the same. The V word there, vulnerable. Like I I mean, I do my best as a mental health advocate to connect with people as much as I can and I feel that being vulnerable at times is something that does that and um, I'll always, you know, I've had journey, times over the, my seven-year journey in this space where I put posts up on social media and, and and been really open about how I'm how I'm feeling and that I'm in a bit of a bad place and we're a negative place and um, I need some time and need some support and um, people really appreciate that because you're right and and you would know better than most as well that working in the mental health space is difficult because it's not all rosy and a lot of it is negative and um, you hear a lot of sad stories and 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 I'm someone that's really empathetic and wishes I could fix everyone's problems but. Yeah. Um, so you're right, self-care is really important in our space and for anyone working frontline or, or looking to a, um, make a difference with mental health, self-care is incredibly important. Well, you have to look after yourself to be able to contribute anything and have to make sure that yeah. you keep an eye on that and keep maintaining it. Otherwise, you end up getting drained and then you think you realise just how sort of on the bowl and healthy you have to keep yourself in order to be able to keep producing yeah. in this way. Can you talk about the day you lost your brother? Yeah, um, it was the 14th of January in 2013 and um, I'd probably spent the last five or six days cooped up um, in my room at home. I wasn't very good at looking forward to um, going back to work. I always took about three weeks holidays over the Christmas break and I was always a shocker for the last few days, just uh, I suppose doing exactly what I preach people to not do now and and that was hide away in my bedroom and just feel shit and sorry about myself that I had to go back to work for the next 11 months. So. I'd come out of um, five days probably hiding away in my room, watching movies, you know, not answering the phone, isolating myself, just feeling really negative about um, work that was ahead. Um, I, I went out to work. Um, funny enough, I had probably the cruisiest day I've ever had in my glazing life. I, um, I remember I got to work that day and my, my boss, Scott, knew how much I hated day one. I'd been working with him for about eight years. So 
I remember he looked at me, dragging my feet up the driveway, thinking, here he comes again, um, full of beans on day one. Um, and he gave me um, very little work to do. And so that day consisted of lots of pulled over in my work unit, um, checking social media. Um, I often joke I had two subway footlongs that day, drank a lot of coffee, just uh, waiting for four o'clock to come around so that I could get home. And um, that day, the communication I had with my little brother, he texted me asking me um, at about quarter past 11 that morning if I had a, a four-fold ruler. Um, he was meant to start a building apprenticeship the next day and he was, I told him a couple of weeks prior that I had a, a ruler for him that he could use for work. And so he texted me um, and I wrote back really short and told him I'd call him soon. And um, for some unknown reason, you know, that day not really having much on, I still didn't get back in touch with him to let him know I had it. Um, and it wasn't until about quarter past four when I was driving home and finished my day at work and I actually tried to call him um, and he didn't answer his phone. And obviously when your little brother who's 18 doesn't answer his phone, you're not too worried. He was a, a bit of a, a bugger with his phone. He wasn't very reliable with it. So I, I thought I'll just give him the ruler when I get home. Um, it was a normal um, normal Monday evening down at Dad's place. Um, I said hello to everyone, um, had snacked on some food, had a shower. Uh, I remember the time... Parson was now probably about 7.15. My girlfriend, who's now my wife, had come down to stay and um, we were having a discussion in my bedroom. It was about 7.15 around um, what we do for dinner and um, my dad and my stepmom were upstairs above us in the kitchen preparing their own dinner and, uh, yeah, um, out of nowhere we just all of a sudden heard some really loud screaming and, and banging upstairs and um, we sort of looked up knowing that, you know, I heard my dad scream, we heard my stepmom start screaming a lot louder and it was one of those moments where um, I'd never been in anything like that before but it was like, right, something bad is happening um, but I was pretty well too frozen to sort of go out and find out what was going on and it feels like it was about an hour that we just sort of sat there looking up at the ceiling thinking what the bloody hell is going on but it was probably only about 10 seconds until I, um, I jumped up off the bed and, and raced over to my door I pulled it inwards, I started running up the stairs and, um, yeah, I got halfway up the stairs and uh, my old man, Dad, um, came flying out of the kitchen and um, Dad's a, a big burly bloke with shaved head and a goatee who'd worked at the prison for a lot of years and, he, you know, he didn't really ever show much emotion but, um, yeah, certainly never forget his face when he um, was screaming at me telling me that um, my mum had called him and um, up at her place eight, eight minutes away um, they'd found my little brother Ty where he'd, he'd suicided and taken his own life. And, um, yeah, talk about a, a game changer. It was um, the last thing on my mind that anyone in my family um, would ever would ever suicide or had been struggling with mental health, but let alone Ty because, um, as we spoke about a moment ago, he was that classic example of someone that, you know, was the life of the party who, um, who was popular, he was fun, he was learning to drive, about to start an apprenticeship. He just appeared to have everything going for him. And, uh, yeah, to learn that news certainly turned my world upside down and, um, you know, brought upon lots of questions, um, lots of feelings of um, sadness, grief, guilt, um, feelings that I never, ever in my life anticipated I'd feel and certainly emotions and feelings that um, I don't wish upon anyone and that's half the reason I do what I do today. What was your experience of grief? Um, prior to that, um, prior to losing my brother, is that what you mean? No, I mean in, in the in the days and weeks and months following. Like, how did how did that oh, go oh, for yeah. you? Um, I often say um, grief, sadness, and guilt were probably the top three that I felt. Um, 
um, grief and sadness. You know, when you when you lose anyone that you that means something to you is really difficult. Let alone when it's your little brother and someone that you know at that stage of my life I cared for him more than anyone. Um, the guilt was probably the next biggest thing that I just couldn't shake. I um, you know I was twenty five. He was eighteen. Um, why the hell didn't he talk to me, you know? Like, why didn't he talk to me? But also, why wasn't I there, you know? I spent so much time with him. I had so many conversations with him. I could not get it out of my system that this was, you know, part. I was partly to blame for not recognising that um, the, the person who I loved the most was going through a difficult time. Um, I soon worked through that, the guilt, you know, and I, and I really preach to people now. I mean, I've done over 800 presentations and I... I meet people that come up and talk to me and say they've had the same experience. I really preach really hard now that it's never, ever anyone's fault when somebody takes their own life, um, but we should all dedicate our life to playing a positive role in mental health so that that lessens the chances of someone around us feeling that suicide has to be the option for them. Um, yeah, it was it was a, a really dark stage, mate. It, it was probably five or six months until I actually started to channel my, my grief and my sadness into the positive, which is now Speak Up, Stay Chatty. Um, it was a dark period. It was, uh, you know, I still look at my Facebook page, you know, you get your memories these days that pop up. And I, I was pretty open about how I was feeling. I, I like to say that I'm an open book when it comes to emotions. And um, I still break down. I look at statuses I used to write and I think, God, how did you ever get through that? Uh, and again, um, that really drives me to, as I said, prevent others from feeling that pain because it's a shocker and uh, it's a really deep, deep pain that sits really low in your stomach that you just can't shake. Um, and for me, it was something that just, as I said, came out of the blue and uh, and one that's taken a very long time to to deal with. And you know, I'll never get over it. I've just learned how I can how I can ch- face those challenges when they resurface because I'll always be there. How were you able to accept that it wasn't your fault? I think that was when I started to learn more about mental health and feel that um, I suppose I can raise awareness to this. I think that has really helped me. Um, I, I mean, one of the biggest things, um, one of the biggest roles that we can all play is just simply asking, you know, are you okay and um, checking in with those you care about. And, and for me, I didn't do that um, as an individual, I, especially as, as I told you a moment ago, in the last five days of my holidays, I hid away in my bedroom and, and worried about work when upstairs Ty stayed four of those five nights and I barely checked in on him. You know, I saw him every now and then, but I, I really didn't recognise that he was struggling because I was so in, immersed in my own selfish little bubble in worrying about going back to work. So I think that's what sort of um, drove that guilt a lot more that I'd just been a bit of a selfish prick the last six days and yet my little brother's upstairs battling with mental health issues and not knowing where to turn. I suppose once I started to meet people and, and talk to people about mental health and, and everyone that I did meet and talk about mental health and learn more off all assured me that it's not my fault. But, hey, if you're feeling this way and you want to do something about it, you know, why don't you start getting, you seem really passionate, why don't you start putting your your, your pain and your, your, your knowledge and what you know about mental health into actually creating some positive change. And I think as I started to transition out of the pain and the sadness and start channeling, as I said, that energy into stay chatting and something that I'd, I'd um, that had been built out of Ty's passing. Um, I suppose I started to let go of that guilt a little bit, as hard as that was. Um, but if you ask me now, do I feel guilty? I don't think even in 40 years that I could I could turn around and say um, I'll be guilt-free forever. I think that's just impossible. I mean, I don't, I don't 
bash my head on the ground and, and feel and make myself feel bad about it. But I could never ever say that I don't feel responsible. But I know that I can make a difference now and encourage others to to never put themselves in that position by just learning a bit more about mental health and and checking in on those that you love and care about. Yeah, that's it. And the fact is, it, it's always that person's decision at the end of the day and it's never down to us to actually make that call but that said you drive yourself crazy asking the what ifs uh because they'll just go round and round in your head for forever and i think maybe maybe there's a period of time where you need to just go through that and and have that those questions posed to yourself and go round and round in circles until you just can't do it anymore um, yeah. just because I think that's a natural thing to do and it is so hard to accept that, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could have done something differently or, you know, all those things that go through your head but at the end of the day what was going to happen was going to happen and that's not your yeah. fault. And it, But it is, unless you've experienced it, it's you can, you can say it, you can tell people that and that is definitely helpful but i think you still have to feel it and go through it and then decide and figure out for yourself eventually that yeah you you can't blame yourself for it but that is just can be such a process and for me personally i i felt like it came in waves from initially going into shock when i found out about it and never having experienced losing someone suddenly before um extremely visceral and just yeah we use the word shocking a lot, but it's like you're completely rattled by it and I never experienced anything like it to the point of sort of being um, unable to really function for a a few days and certainly initially and then found that it just came in in waves where as the weeks passed, it would be less and less overwhelming, but occasionally it would just hit you. And even now, like if I hear a song that reminds me of my mate or – see something uh often when i'm driving for whatever reason oh this happens fairly rarely now but i'll still have like tears come to my eyes and it just sort of hits you out of nowhere and it's like you can't obviously be completely brought to your knees by grief for the rest of your life because life has to go on and you know you have to keep Mm -hmm. keep moving but i don't think it ever fully goes away it's always there and it in an to an extent i think still feeling that from time to time is like a beautiful thing because it, 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 that, that was love and, and meaning to you. But, yeah, it's not like you're never like cured of, of, of that experience. You're just shaped and, and changed by it and you can accept it. But um, you can't ever forget it or, or be free of it totally. No, no. And, um, and I, have, I, in my life, I recognise that, you know, I spoke earlier that, you know, I'm not invincible and I a lot of people turn to me as the mental health guy to, to open up about their own issues and stuff. And I feel if I'm ever hitting a wall, I've recognised that sometimes that's just been needing to let out some of that grief. Um, I'm pretty good around, um, you know, Christmas is a pretty ordinary time because shortly after that was obviously my little brother's birthday and then the, the anniversary. It's always, a you know, a great time to spend with family and friends. But I recognise that I will absolutely have a day between Christmas Day and January 15 where I just lock myself away and play all the sad songs or, you know, go over and sit with him and, and put the music on and um, and let it all out. And like you said, oh, you, speak, you spoke my language there that it's, um yeah, it's it's a sad moment, but I feel that you're just going back and you're just connecting with that love and that bond that I had. And, um, you know, I suppose, you know, around about way as tough as it is to go through that, I suppose it's a, it's a special moment that I can um, tune into when I need to to feel like I'm, I'm back there with him and um, keeping his memory alive with me. So, yeah, it's um, healthy at times. 
which sounds very, very strange. Yeah, it's beautiful though as well. Um, how did it change your family from being a family that didn't really talk about mental health or go there for your whole life? Then obviously this this happened. Uh, have you yeah. seen a Have you seen a pretty obviously there's been a drastic change in in you now being more making it your whole life? But has that been similar for the rest of your family? Yes, to a certain degree. Um, I certainly had my family. Um, you know, we were running some certain events and different things early days, and um, you know, they'd sort of chime in and, and help where they could. Um, we were fortunate enough, Stay Chatty was sort of partnered with a pretty pretty big organisation in Relationships Australia. And um, when you govern a charity and you have a, ch- a board and things, you know, volunteers around mental health becomes kind of tough. So they're all certainly um, there and willing and a, and a great support for me um, to sort of get involved has been more of a challenge over the last four or five years since, as I said, you set up a charity and there's governance and um, you've got to make sure you're um, crossing T's and dotting I's and whatnot. But um, I suppose the biggest thing for, uh, for my family is just that they're a support there and um, they're always there when I need to talk about anything. Um, but, yeah, it's certainly um, I know um, my sister's a you know, pretty strong advocate for mental health and always willing to check in on those around them. Um, my mum and dad are a bit the same. Um, we're always thinking differently. I think you just think laterally when you've been through what you go through. You see um, the way people struggle differently. You sort of want to help people. I've certainly become a lot more empathetic since I went through this. So um, I sort of drive around and see someone that looks upset and they're probably not, and I feel like I want to pull over and um, wrap my arm around them and, and make sure they're okay. Um, I remember one day, short story, there was this my little brother um, through his early teenage years had a bit of weight on him, damaged his eye and had surgery and put a bit of weight on and um, there was a boy walking about four years ago along a street that he used to walk near his bus stop and um, I saw him and um, I actually pulled over and it sort of sounds really strange but um, he was hooking into some lunch waiting at the bus stop and um, he just didn't look like he was 100% and um, I knew that I couldn't and I had to fight with all my might to not get out of the car and go over and chat to this 12-year-old boy at the bus stop because I know how that would have appeared to the general public. But for me, I just sat there, um, you know, just, I don't know, it was a really weird moment, but just feeling like I wanted to get out and just make sure that this young guy was all right. And I think that's what I'm like, that's what my family's like. And I think anyone out there would probably say the same when you go through something traumatic where someone wasn't able to help themselves. I suppose that just becomes part of you that you want to make um as much possible change as you possibly can for for anyone, I suppose, that walks the earth. Yeah, and you've done that for thousands of people, which is fantastic. What made you decide to go out and share your story? Because obviously so many people are impacted by suicide, but not many of them decide that it's going to become their their life's work or their mission to go out and do what what you've done. So what flipped that switch for you? So I created the about six months after losing my brother. I remember I had a moment with mum and um, everyone was really battling after losing Ty. You know, there was just so many tears and dark places and I sort of found that lots of people were reaching out to me as well. I'm not saying I was the beacon of, or the pillar of support for our family, but I just had lots of different people from different angles wanting to sort of reach out and, and talk to me about what we were going through and what are we going to do about it. I think the catalyst was a, a, I went and saw mum and um she just absolutely lost it as I was leaving. And, um, you know, it was aside from the night we lost Ty, it's probably still to this day the toughest thing I've ever been through. Just, you know, watching my mum just yell and scream, um, angry at the world that her son had been taken away. And um, I left my mum's place that night and I'd already been thinking about ways in which I could create change, but that was the catalyst. And I got home and, and created the sticker, the Speak Up Stay Chatty sticker, which was a, a car sticker idea to pay tribute to Ty. 
Um, it was a little pair of footy shorts. Um, it was a way for us to get it on cars and get people starting to have the conversation about mental health, all whilst paying tribute to him through a Facebook page I'd set up. Um, long story short, that went on for a couple of months until um, a footy club that I played with and versus the footy club that my brother played with, and they decided to do a, a stay chatty cup, if you like. And um, uh, at the end of the day, I got up and said a few words um, to thank them and, and um, pass on a stay chatty medal to the best player. And it was uh, driving home that night, I thought, I actually quite liked that, like getting up and, and having saying a few words and lots of people came up and chatted at the end and for me, that was a realisation that Stay Chatty, which was just a cast sticker and a bit of awareness on social media, um, that I actually found that I got uh, a thrill and a bit of a buzz out of standing up in front of people and, and talking about my story and, and had no doubt that, you know, having the courage to do that might create change for other people and let's start shaping something that can make a bit of an impact. So, yeah, that was a sort of turning moment and um, I still think about some of the early days and the talks I did, they were absolutely, you know, horrendous. Uh, getting up, you know, with six pages of A4 um, written <laughs> word for word. Um, I'm sure there were some people, you know, falling asleep at the start, but there was also lots of positive feedback and, and that's what really drove me, you know, people messaging me, coming up to me saying that was great. Um, and so I've really crafted that now to be something that, as I said, I've delivered 800 times and um, it's tough to do. You know, I don't always feel like standing in front of people and reliving the worst day of my life, but um, I know that it has impact and, and that's what drives me um, and, as I said, makes positive change and that's what we need in today's society, positive change. How has that impacted your own healing? Yeah, well, I think um, I, yeah, for me, I set out to do this to raise awareness. Obviously, the first part was to pay tribute to Ty and keep him alive. And I didn't want people to, like you said off the start, you know, I didn't want people to think that Ty was someone that, hid away in his bedroom and, and was fully depressed and led a really dark life. Um, he didn't, you know, he was vibrant, he was fun, he was happy, and that's what I I really wanted to make really clear to people that he wasn't a he wasn't heavily impacted by depression, anxiety, um, but he just didn't know where to turn to get through that support, and that's what made him, you know, make that decision. But the other part of it, I suppose, was wanting others to not um, experience the pain and the sadness that um, that we'd been through, and so. Um, I suppose to have feedback from people say that, um, you know, your talk is um, um, changed, you know, people came up to me early days and said, look, around the dinner table now we've made mental health a topic of conversation when it absolutely wasn't before. Um, and we're now asking our kids every couple of days how they're going. Remember to stay chatty, remember to speak up. And, I mean, there's no greater there's no greater impact I felt that I could have had than potentially saving people's lives. So um, I, I decided to just really focus on that and think that, you know, what I... I still think it now. I will never, ever be able to bring Ty back, but um, I know for a fact that there's people walking this earth because of the work that I and our amazing team have done. And, um, yeah, there's nothing more powerful than that, and I suppose that helps me um, navigate life now, being bereaved by suicide, but knowing that I've done something out the other side. Do you think about how much good has come from that tragedy? Yeah, I do, yeah. And um, I try not to get emotional. I try not to do it now, but, you know, people... um, sort of finish up my when I finish my presentation and the host thanks me and um, quite often one of the things they say now is that your brother would be really proud and, um, yeah, as I said, I don't want to keep talking about that because I'll get emotional. But, um, yeah, no doubt there's been lots of good. I, I think in Tassie we had the second highest rate of suicide in Australia. Um, we still do, but um, I really hang my hat on now. I feel like we really pioneered some serious change down here and really broke down that barrier. Um, for people to know that it's okay to not be okay and that we can create change and that 
mental health isn't something that you've got to be ashamed of. Um, I still have people say they saw our work seven years ago and they're just so pleased that we're still um, still a big part of Tasmanian society and, and workplaces and really transitioning that culture. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, give anything to have him back, mate, but um, I know, sorry, there's a... Something noise, yeah. Um, I'd give anything to to have my little brother back, but um, yeah, he'd be super proud of what we've done since. And where are you taking it from here with Stay Chatty, mate? We just ticked over eleven staff, so we've got um, we've got a high school program um, that um, a couple of years ago got um, granted a million dollars from the state government to work in high schools and, and colleges. Um, we've got a sports program that um, was funded as well. Um, by the Tasmanian Community Fund. We've got lawyers, nurses, um, exercise physiologists that have given up their career to come and work with us. Um, you know, it's the absolute dream to have 11 staff, 11 quality people that um, that spread our message all across the state. So we want to keep growing. Um, the two new people are coming on to develop primary school and junior sports programs. So we really want to get our messages safely into, into young people's worlds and start you know, talking about emotions and, and well-being. Um, obviously, there won't be a focus on suicide at young demographics, but you know, just getting people chatting about mental health and um, f- which is more evidence informed around what they should be learning at that age. Um, I jump on planes now and, and travel around the country and, and talk about my story. And um, there's, I think, think there's a real appetite for that at the moment, especially since um, COVID nineteen. So, you know, certainly having some exciting conversations with you know some speaking agency and some agents, and um, yeah, I certainly see that. Our work now is probably more um, relevant than ever, so I'm certainly going to grab that with both hands and, and keep doing as much as we possibly can. Yeah, it's incredible how much you've managed to grow it, and just strikes me how much it suits you, and you know how confident you are in, in speaking about it now, and the tremendous amount of um, value that you add to your community in Tasmania and and Australia as a whole, and that that and that would never have happened had your brother not passed away and of course if you could you would change that and bring him back in a in a heartbeat but it is just crazy to think about um, how often pain like that that we endure ourselves can can lead to um, adding incredible benefit to others uh, and it, it is really inspiring work that that you guys do and I have the utmost respect for it um, if you Thank could you. if you could see your I know you said you don't want to get emotional, but it's a bit hard with this sometimes, isn't it? But if you yeah. if you if you could see your brother again, what would you say to him? Well, I often think to the last time I saw him, and it was the night before he passed away, when I sort of I brushed my teeth and I'd gone past his bedroom to say goodnight, and um, I, I went in and he was laying on his bed, and he was playing on his phone, and I said goodnight, and he didn't answer me the first time. I had to go in a little more, kick the cupboard, and, and shouted at him and said Tig, which was his nickname night mate I'll see you tomorrow and um he just sort of half looked at me mumbled the word good night and I often say that I'll never forget that moment for a lot of reasons but predominantly um he had tears in his eyes and he was pale faced and um you know he was absolutely someone laying there with a, a million issues going on in his mind and in his heart and I know him better than anyone I knew him better than anyone I know he would have been laying there praying that he had the courage to tell me what was going on but he also would have been laying there praying that um, his big brother who um, loved him more than anything and who he idolised gave him that opportunity to speak. And, um, you know, I left the room that night, went to work. Aside from the text the next day, that was our only interaction and um, I never saw him alive ever again. And I suppose if I had that moment and, God, I've thought about this a million times, you know, I'd break down those barriers. You know, our our relationship was strong, but it was never a sit with each other and cry to each other. 
Um, and I think we need to really get to that and build that strength, that strong connection with anyone that you care about to know that you can sit with them and you can have a moment and you can cry it out just to get through to tomorrow. And, um, yeah, that would be me, mate. I'd sit on his bed, I'd wrap my arm around him and say, hey, you look like you're not okay. Guess what? I give a shit about that. I care about you and I want you to be at 100% as often as you can. So get it out. I'll help you get through it. Um, I'll take you where you need to go. And by doing that, I know, mate, that things will be okay. So um, it's all in hindsight now. You know, I often think that if I knew half of what I know about mental health now, um, would Tig still be here? I'd give it a red-hot shake, I reckon. But, yeah, that's what I'd say to him. Let him know that it's okay to not be okay and that, I'm absolutely here for him. Yeah, incredible stuff, mate. And the example you just gave there about putting your arm around him and saying what you said, that's something that that anyone can say to someone if they're in that position now or they have someone in their life that they think sort of stacks up in a similar way. That is, and often we ask, what can we say? What can we do? I think it's just giving them permission, showing them that if they want to open up or they need to share that you're going to listen to them, you're not going to judge them. And that you love them and right. you and you care, and um, that that is what you can do. So yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful example, and uh, yeah, I, w- I wish you could go back in time and, and do it again. But at the same time, um, what you've ended up doing has been incredibly valuable and powerful for for the whole community. So you should be tremendously proud of who you've become and what you've done, and um, just yeah looking forward to seeing you continue to grow and continue to have this impact because you're certainly doing what you were what you were supposed to do mate so thank you and uh yep. thanks so much for for joining me today and, and telling the story again because i know it's hard every time you you relive it but um you know that's what it's all about so really appreciate it mate no i appreciate it thanks for the opportunity and um yeah keep up your great work i always am a big believer in lived experience and those that have been through those traumatic and those difficult experiences to try and have the courage to speak about it because it absolutely will make a difference for for others and and, and especially our young people they need to hear this stuff and and hear it in the safest way possible but um that's our biggest step towards change so yeah thanks so much for having me bloody oath mate good on you if you're a fan of the work we're doing or have a suggestion for the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment. You can follow Youngblood Men's Health Matters on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube and visit our website youngbloodmedia.com.au to stay up to date. And most importantly, if this conversation resonated with you, share it with someone you love and start a conversation of your own. A huge thank you to our local business supporters who've joined our mission to change the lives of young men for the better and help make this possible. We're all in it together. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.